0: Hello, and welcome to Sound Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you for joining me as we continue to dive into discussions about the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and using sound for health and wellness. Today, I have a fascinating podcast for you with Alexandre Tanous. He is a musician, educator, composer, and ethnomusicologist. For almost 20 years now, he has been researching the therapeutic and esoteric properties of sound from three different perspectives, Western scientific, Eastern philosophical, and shamanic societal beliefs. He investigates sound and creates a balance between the theoretical, philosophical, and experiential perspectives. He's had this passion and love of music from a young age and a real desire to investigate the mysteries and power of sound and how it affects our consciousness in various ways. We look into why sound manifests such deep and powerful mystical states. We look at what it means to tap into gnosis and also raising awareness about misinformation in the sound healing field. We go real deep in this discussion of sound and all kinds of aspects and what the next evolution of consciousness and the difficulties we are facing more and more during this time. I love how Alexandra comes back to driving points, but each time, he does so, he's offering new juicy bits and adds new references to deepen the original points. So I know I will be coming back to this podcast many times to listen and, and gain new inspiration and new things to to dig into. So please enjoy this podcast with Alexandra Tanous. Well, why don't we kind of start there where where you were just talking about the diversity of your your training and your experience, I'm sure, has been instrumental to gaining a deeper understanding of the power of sound. It would be really fantastic to explore your background. I believe you grew up in Beirut. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. So, what was, um, you know, your musical childhood, um, especially during wartime? What What did that look like?
1: Oh. Very complex. <laughs> it mm. takes a long time to talk about this. But, um, yeah, well, you, the war started when, when I was nine and, and um, uh, it was hard to adapt to it. Um, but um, it impacted so much my childhood and how much I remember, uh, not only from before the age of nine, but even before the age of 16, clearly because of the traumas. And uh, so the the brain blocks the memory, makes it seem never happen or sweetens it. So music was my uh, meditation, music was my consolation, music playing um, gave me the things that made me go through uh, the war and be able to withstand it and become resilient, hopeful, Not only music, also meditation. I started practicing transcendental meditation at age 14, and that helped me tremendously um, in the combination of the two and playing music as a form of meditation. But that also opened for me the the interest of the the curiosity to the unknown, to metaphysics, to spirituality, to esoteric and occult philosophies and practices. Eventually, later on, all of this led to my interest in uh, Rudolf Steiner's work, Anthroposophy and Theosophy. He started as a theosophist, that's the Madame Blavatsky School. And uh, Pythagoreanism, Neoplatonism, and um, Gnosticism. Uh, This is the knowledge of the Gnostics, those who sought knowledge they call it gnosis gnosis in ancient greek means um, embodied knowledge the knowledge of the heart uh, experiential knowledge non-intellectual knowledge and um, this is something that humans have been interested in for a very very long time unfortunately the gnostics were killed and exterminated by the romans and early christians in third and fourth centuries and they, uh, they buried books uh, about their writings because they were being burned. But we also hear about gnosis from various angles, from Judaism, Kabbalah, it's called Dat and Jnana in Hinduism, Rigpa, and Vidya and Tibetan Buddhism. So uh, why? Because I was experiencing in my meditations uh, a connection to a source that was within me within and outside, that, that was bigger than uh, I could fathom, and it was very profound. This is something that has been happening continuously since age 14, accentuating, going in a crescendo, and actually around sometimes, and goes through phases, so it's within all of us. So this interest in in the world, in Gnosis, also emerged once again in the uh, times of the Cathars in the 11th and 12th century in southern France, and they were... Killed because they had practices and beliefs different than the Roman Catholic Church in the Albigensian Crusades, basically. And we see that later on, three centuries later, in, in Florence with Cosimo de' Medici, one of the banker families, and this interest in Hermetic sciences, um, the knowledge of Hermes Trismegistus, and knowledge that was practiced and used and studied research in ancient Egypt. And um, we kept on seeing it at various stages. And in the 1900s, with the modern mystery school, uh, Theosophy and Anthroposophy, that's mystery school, ancient mystery school, is another thing I've been deeply interested in. So, um, and now there is a great interest in it. And this is why actually I I, I believe this this have been my observations for, uh, from early on, I, I started doing focusing on the research on on sound and therapeutic and esoteric properties of sound coming to it from music. Um, 16 years ago, and I saw, I I realized that this is gonna happen, be taken more and more seriously. Consciousness seems to be interested in this. Um, We're all becoming Gnostics. We're all being affected by what's going on in the world. Mm And um, and whether on the political level, the societal, the the cultural, the religious level, spiritual level, so much change is happening in shorter, shorter period of time. And this is why we find consciousness gravitating toward the most powerful tools, which we'll talk about later on, sound being one of them, which is to create a different entrainment, inner changes. Entrainment is a powerful word This basically when we're watching a film and music in the background entrains us, it shifts our emotions when we're listening to music and we start to move in sync with it, it is because inner processes, in fact, are being impacted by the physics of sound, acoustics, harmony, written, various elements in, in music. So we're being affected through entrainment. The brainwave cycles are affected, the heart rate variability, the subtle energy, the vagus nerve, the autonomic nervous system. So when that happens, we start to pay attention differently. We are capable of snapping out of the unhealthy baseline, snapping out of what's happening around us and go into contemplative state, meditative state or state of deeper awareness. And the more we dedicating our mindset to what's going on, very important thing, the intentions, attention, will awareness and curiosity to sound. the more we're being affected, so attention and the totality of the mindset is so important. So this is, I believe, why we're interested in this, because of what's happening to us, because of what's causing us to do. Now, that's something I experienced when I was little and started being affected positively by the positive entrainment of playing and studying music and exploring different musical styles, Mm. playing different instruments, and my meditation practice with the chaos that was happening war you know uh that gave me a different understanding of the human condition starting with myself and finding capacity to deal with things differently than other people who did not have uh this gift or the opportunity that i had and i'm deeply grateful to that there was a lot of suffering but i was learning a lot from the suffering and in You know, when we start to hear, we realize that the suffering is is, uh, the training for us to become who we are now. And we start to understand things that other people who did not go through this or went through something different would not understand in such a way. And that's what I believe we're supposed to bring to the human experience. is things we've learned uh, from having to deal with difficulty, with hardship, with pain. We all suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm -hmm. or I should say post-traumatic stress injury.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, It's more of injury than disorder. Um, We don't address it unless it's debilitating, but it's important to resort to methods to understand who am I? What can I do to myself? How can I be of service? How can I tap into the inner teacher, healer within me? So... That affected so much my approach of seeing things and I've practiced and received a variety of different um, practices, whether um, spiritual technique and and meditative technique and and spiritual, uh, uh, different types of spirituality, whether Eastern philosophies, Hinduism, specifically the Vedanta school of non-duality and Tibetan Buddhism, Dzogchen and Taoism other different ones, such as Sufism. Um, So I've been exposed to a variety of different uh, spiritualities and forms of transcendence from early on and continued to later on and accentuated when I became an ethnomusicologist. I started traveling and doing fieldwork, studying how people have used music in a variety of different ways because the ultimate question for ethnomusicologist is why is the human being so musical what do we express in music why are we so deeply important in music so um and that's what i've been looking for all my life but not just as a research as as part of my profession there were i was more like an investigative journalist to myself i wanted to find out because of the love that I had for music, the passion, the mystery that music had around it, and I started experiencing that more and more as I started playing non-Western musical cultures. Mm. Uh, I grew up playing uh, Western music from classical to pop and rock and (laughs) bluegrass, blues, heavy metal for when I was 16 and and so I was fortunate to have experience playing different styles, different genres and and on different instruments as well. and, and in a graduate school when i um, I studied different aspects of music over twelve years, did four degrees. so that also helped enriching my experience. and I double majored in music theory and composition, and I performed a lot. and then I studied music education and uh, also during this whole time. I was act, I also studied conducting, and I was active as a musician, as a conductor, and composer who composed contemporary classical and film music. And when I uh, started teaching and started becoming interested in in um, transmission and pedagogy, and then I became interested in a field that um, I don't know a whole lot about, which is ethnomusicology which is kind of like anthropologic music. The ultimate goal of ethnomusicology is to understand human beings by studying culture through music. So we use various elements. Of course, the person must be a musician, but also we study anthropological methods, and we study sociology linguistics. So there's a lot that we can bring to understand why we're so musical. What is music really about? Or sound, let's call it this way, because, uh, it's not just about music, it's about sound and language and everything. And that's um, something that uh, became so fascinating to me because I was being exposed to various ways of uh, manifesting this musical expression that I started understanding on a deeper and deeper level doing fieldwork and playing non Western music, um, I specialized in music of West Asia, It's classical Arabic, Turkish and Persian musics, and I started playing classical Arabic and um, Turkish, which is very complex, it's microtonal mm-hmm. and I was able to play it on a double bass because it's a fretless instrument but all these years I had to learn to play in tune, I have, now I had to learn to play <laughs> in the cracks between the notes, mm-hmm. in the shrutis, as they call them in Indian classical music uh, because the Arabic octave is 24 tones, 24 non-equidistant. There's no equal temperament. And that's really something that I started studying later on, and you know, the element that castrated the power of music. And uh, the Turkish octave is uh, 53 toes. The Byzantine octave is 72. So mm-hmm. people think that all octaves in the world are 12 toes. Mm-hmm. And most of them don't know that these are, in the West, 12 quantized toes equidistant tones, that's the equal temperament, which changes the mathematics of sound, mm-hmm. which is what causes us as sound practitioners to gravitate toward instruments that have clearly audible, rich spectrum of harmonic overtones we can hear, because now we're getting the real harmony from where Western harmony developed and became something close to the origin, and we systematized this. It's called functional harmony. Harmony that's different than the real harmony, but that this, this this difference makes us uh, deal with it in a specific way. And we created wonderful things, starting with the development of harmony in Notre Dame School in Paris in the 11th and 12th century with Leona and Perotan. A few centuries later, now we have harmony that's total, ter- that's based on compiling thirds. So. As Westerners, we became so affected by the music we created from harmony that's not very, very close and very faithful to the origins of harmony, the harmonic series, Mm -hmm. which also mathematics, mathematical ratios, basically, in series of infinite frequencies. So I was becoming captivated by these cultures, ancient cultures that have created harmonic systems, musical cultures, based on a thorough observation, faithfulness, and be, remaining very close to the real harmony. And we're talking here about Indian classical music and certain Central Asian uh, music, To a certain extent, music of Afghanistan and Pakistan in certain parts, Kawali music, Sufi music, devotional uh, Sufi music. But this influence came from um, Persian and Classical Arabic music, which are very similar to Turkish, which means that uh, this is my uh, finding, and, and these are my feelings. Mm-hmm. There seem to have existed at some point in the past, there seem to have existed a musical culture in the area we now call West Asia, that's uh, part of the Arab world, mm-hmm. and Turkey and Iran and some of the surrounding countries. This influence stretched west toward the Levant um, and the North Africa. And, and it went inward, also eastward, toward Azerbaijan and toward um, India. And that's what we call the Maqam system, M-A-Q-A-M, which is the origin of the Raga system the modal system, which means their musical cultures are based on, I'm not going to go too deep into this because it's very complex, but Mm -hmm. just to give the listeners a bit about how different things are Mm -hmm. in other musical cultures. So they use modes, modes are scales, but scales, that behave differently than Western scales. We mostly use in the West different major and minor scales. C major, D major, which are the same thing, but almost different scale degree, a different tonality. Or minor scale, which has a different intervallic structure. Mm. Uh, or there's a blues scale and the pentatonic scale mm-hmm. and various scales. We have many of them in the West, but they're not used for the predominantly ones are major minor and blues and pentatonic. And then the other ones are far less. And uh, so they focus more on the relationship between one note and another and another and another that would culminate to create a different ethos and pathos, uh, different emotional states, different um, states of being. But you need the listeners to sit and listen attentively, judiciously, to be there with the totality of their mindset to allow the positive entrainment that would snap us out of the unhealthy baseline. Adding to this complexity of the ragas, the makamat, which each has a different formula, if we can call it, and it can start on any note, doesn't really matter. There's no big importance put on, does it start, does this mode or raga start on D or C or G? What's more important is the raga from a different one. So I, Started playing music with this uh, construction in it, and my experience became different. And as a meditator, I started experiencing different altered states states of they're called tarab, that's the bhava and rasa we call in Indian classical music uh, emotional states, states of euphoria, of ecstasy, of enchantment, uh, because the music is affecting how the body is running. How the body is being affected as it transduces consciousness, creates reality through transduction, transceiving, the filtering of the data of what we experience. And we also co create reality all at the same time. So the brain, the heart, and the entire body, the endocrine system is involved in creating reality. It's not just dealing with reality. So that is the result of these modes oh, to take them deeper the octave that is being utilized has more tones than western octaves western octave more than 12 tones and if they even if they were 12 they would be non-quantized so there's no equal temperament in the indian octave is 22 shrutis the shruti is the note between the note and the, and the swaras are the actual notes. so you know, there's a different way of experiencing time and reality when we're totally immersed in judicious, attentive, intentional listening. So that's something that was impacted by that um, in graduate school when I started playing this music and I started playing on professional level. And I kept on playing jazz and classical on various instruments, mostly double bass. So all of this created a different neuroplasticity in my brain. Neuroplasticity is... brain becomes a product of a repeated action we're always impacted by what we do so when if we speak different languages we're impacted by different we, we the brain creates different neuroplasticity if we listen to different music play instruments how much attention we give to things meditation all of these things there's always entrainment and we should Look for opportunities to create positive entrainment because there's so much negative entrainment from
2: mm-hmm.
1: politics and media. Everybody's fighting over reality now. In the old days, it used to be nobility and royalty, and then the religions came, and then the bankers mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of Venice and Florence, and continued further on uh, to current bankers and political systems and the media and the one that really affects the most is Silicon Valley, is technology that's creating reality on a whole other level. Mm. So we need to be pay attention to all of that and because that's what our consciousness is going through, mm-hmm. and that's what causes us to become more and more interested in sound, in meditation, in yoga, in holistic practices, in Eastern philosophies, in shamanism, in psychedelic research, in various... Um, Practices, alternative practices, alternative medicines, because part of us is losing faith in Western culture and the traditional methods and the hegemony of religions, medical system, politicians and politics and and, and media. Uh, We're fed up. We're waking up. Mm. So we better do it well and right. Mm -hmm. So everything is interconnected to me. And that's why, you know, when I talk about something, I don't just focus on it and how people are not thinking I'm rambling or digressing. No, I I do this on purpose to show how how everything is interconnected, that the mystery is everywhere. We lost the mystery, we lost our connection to the logos. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can talk about this later because that's really, really interesting because that's what's happening in the background. Mm -hmm. That's causing us to treat things in this unique way to shift our consciousness in specific directions so the more we are aware of the process the more we do it with intention with attention and not meander and not fall into what ego inflation creates and and uh, impacts us with and spiritual materialism spiritual bypassing uh, pathological altruism and, and narcissistic spirituality because the ego that needs to be mowed down and and, and uh, needs to be needs to go through an alchemical experience, um, keeps its grips and keeps keeps active and, and transmogrifies, and it changes the way it's perceived because it doesn't want to be disconnected. We always call it, we always name it. Sound is trying to help us with that. Mm-hmm. So it's pity when we bring that into sound.
0: Yeah, it seems as though from an early age you... Realized that sound could be used as a tool, you know, almost like a technology from nature that yes. it was something to harness, and it and that seems to have led your experience and led your your own research into different perspectives on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, and it became my life's work because it's it, I wanted to I wanted to investigate these questions for myself. Mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm because of my love, my my passion, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: everything I do is is in this all of what I've been describing, everything I've been doing. Uh, so that's a lot of, um, it's very impactful. It's thorough entrainment. So I'm interested in in how sound impacts consciousness in various ways. It is one of the most sophisticated tools. What I'm more interested in is where sound takes us, because sound is revealing, not only healing and creating uh therapeutic feeling, and it's doing a variety of different things. There is rehabilitation, there's fine-tuning, there's an education, there's a regeneration, empowerment, nurturing. It's revealing the the nature of who we are, what consciousness is, and that's why uh, I think we're, we're programmed to use sound to unravel consciousness, to expand consciousness, And this is why we always find uh, a way to use it. We bring it everywhere, whether in the shamanic realm, in the traditional, the spiritual, the religious, uh, in parties and weddings and funerals. And There's a place for it everywhere because it's one of the most powerful technologies. It's a natural organic technology. Mm. And I believe based on my observation and is something I've witnessed a lot in field work because I've done a lot of field work in so far over 40, 45 countries. Uh, also in shamanic societies and understanding how sound has been used in Eastern philosophies and traditional uh, societies, developing societies. Um, and the mantra and sutra, sutra systems, uh, the chants. Um, I've witnessed various use of sound in shamanic ceremonies. The second tool that I was referring to, uh, and they work together, is compounds, plants, psychedelic plants. Mm -hmm. And this this is, I believe, what humans used following the intelligence of intuition to create what became known as shamanism. We created shamanism, the art, the practice, the philosophy of maintenance, of maintaining our connection to, the, to a healthy physical body, to a healthy mind, uh, fine-tuned emotions, mm. to connection to uh, uh, our spirituality, to nature. We were part of the logos. So we knew the logos, the intelligence that was inherent in nature. Um, that humans later on started using mathematics to understand, fathom and transmit that. But it's not mathematics that creates the universe and nature and reality. What we use is mathematics because it allows us a great level of measurement and find fine measurement accuracy. What's there is fields, phenomena, systems, and patterns, and that's, to me, what the Logos is. And the the way we perceive it the most is through the harmonic series, because it impacts us. Mm -hmm. And that's where I I believe the concept of God came from. So we are programmed to use this to unravel consciousness and what can accelerate it. And many people would oppose this and have reservations. They're free to have that. It's because of the way we were Impacted by the general agreement with because of religions and political system, are psychedelics these plants that have been used by humans for thousands and thousands of years mm-hmm. only in the late 60s became illegal early 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now there's a great interest in that. So, what humans did is combine these two to really use two powerful forces to let go of the normal state of consensual reality to go into a state where one becomes one with everything or one becomes everything and nothing, or or one can have a very deep, powerful experience and the experience with sound, was so deeply impactful to me that made me ask more question, what is sound about in music? Why are we so deeply programmed to use it? Mm -hmm. And why does it manifest such a deep, powerful, mystical state? And keep in mind, um, I came to it as a serious, seasoned meditator. I've been meditating for a long time, and for me to experience these substances in good, set setting, I would not in, in parties. The attention is not there. People don't don't get what they can get in, in mm-hmm. shamanic and controlled setting. Where there's there's a big interest in 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 psychedelics now and science. So it's fascinating because. These tools have helped so much consciousness to know what it is, to learn about things, to expand, to learn about what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. So the other thing that was brought to shamanism is thorough mindset, attention to set and setting, the intentions, the attention will But we don't talk about it in in a very specific way. People only address intentions, but there is more than intentions. And these are things that we can learn about to bring into the sound practice, which is very important. Why? Because it's about learning. It's unfolding things. It's about unraveling. It's about impacting our consciousness in a way where there is meditative state, contemplative or introspective state. And state of mindfulness a hypnagogic state hoping that the person won't fall asleep when the person is having a direct experience with sound. Mm. So it's important to use it as a tool because at the end, it's about where is it taking us to experience of who we are and what our connection is to each other, to nature, to the cosmos, to reality. That's what sound is doing. It's revealing. So instead of sound healing, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the term. The popular, most popular terms. No judgment here. This is an observation. Mm -hmm. I just find that sound healing communicates a different reality. And as people interested in sound, when we we're interested in sound, we have to investigate the power of language, right? Power of the word. That's you know, the word exists because we have a language for it. But now I'm, I'm. I'm expressing the way I perceive reality, my cosmology, what's going on inside of me, to you and the listeners. I'm expressing feelings, emotions, thoughts, visuals sometimes, sensations. So it's a big deal. Mm. Words, the voice, language is a really big deal. It transmits different realities. So we need to take it seriously. So if we describe something that's not really it, like sound healing or sound bath, don't bath, mm. They don't communicate so much. First and foremost, they're not empowering to the listener, to the par- active participator. It's about active participating. Mm-hmm. They don't communicate a judicious, attentive, intentional presence. When, if we don't discuss them, I and most often they're not discussed, and practitioners miss out on the great opportunity of communicating something to the seasoned people or not seasoned at all, how to receive the experience. Why are we playing these instruments? What is the work about? What can the receiver do? We assume that people are going to listen to it in the most optimal way, the most suitable. No, it's an accident. Reality is so different in all of us. We're all different universes. We're all different portholes of the same consciousness. But the life we go through, the conditioning impacts how we perceive things. So it's important to create uh, a shared reality, to set to prime things, to set things up so that there is reception, mm-hmm. which is what we find in these ancient musical cultures. There's the bhava and rasa. There's a, you know, participatory listening in Indian classical music, the stock of words and expressions that people utter to indicate that the musician I'm listening to, I'm being so moved. And that makes the listeners feel that, oh, there is a, an attunement here. There's an attentive listening. They're not just here. They're not hearing it and not thinking about other stuff. So they give more. There's more connection because there is more enjoyment and expression of that. And that takes both parties into a very unique, powerful, energetic state where there is uh, this euphoria of ecstasy. And if you take it further, then it becomes Sufism, Mm. uh, which can manifest in kawali music or the different forms of Sufism that we have in, Syria, Egypt, uh, uh, Turkey, and, you know, the Levant area, uh, which is losing the self through sound, going into state of they call al the total dissolution of the ego, which is similar to the Satori state in Zen Buddhism, the moksha to, to Samadhi state, becoming everything and nothing at all, embodying God within us, One, finding the God within. This is what uh, Rumi's work is about. So through poetry, through sound, through music, it's the ecstasy. So we need to be judicious and attentive how we use sound, how we talk about it, how we listen to it, to do what is compelling us, to gravitate toward it. So if we don't package it in such a way, Mm -hmm. I like to call it sound meditation. I did not coin the term. People think that I'm promoting it because I have soundmeditation.com. No, actually, the the domain was gifted to me. I had soundmeditation.us, but my Mm -hmm. web designer told me, oh, no one's going to remember us. I said, (laughs) that's how i And then they found a person, a wonderful person in Philadelphia who had a domain. And I contacted him, and I told him my story, and he gifted me that. Mm -hmm. We did a barter back here. Uh, And uh, anyway, but the term has been used for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's just not so many people use it. Mm-hmm. Um, harmonic meditation is good um, Sound journey could, could be right. you know, mm-hmm. meaningful Terms that indi- indicate an active participation are more powerful Because they create a different reality in the mind of the receiver It's a little bit of a problem now to change the term Because sound healing is so known But it's confusing mm-hmm. Is sound really healing us? Or is the practitioner healing us? That's the biggest misconception, is that we use the term healer for practitioners who do wonderful work, but are they really healing? Mm. Is it, wh- wh- how do we define healing? Well, no, I don't think they're healing. There may be some people with supernatural capacity who can heal others without capitalizing on the power of tools or capitalizing on people's ignorance or you know whatever. Uh, but most people are healers are healing facilitators or practitioners or guides that create conditions they they do very important things in creating this this setting uh, uh, promoting certain reception the use of the, the tool that's being utilized facilitating it in a in a in a way being in service and nurturing with good intention that there is an effect coming from the practitioner. I'm not saying not, but let's not not make it all about that. Mm -hmm. The tool is being used to activate natural healing capacity we have within us. That's what we need to understand and talk about. That's what we need to do more and more Mm -hmm. because it's about self-discovery. Now, we're nurtured and raised not to believe that we have capacities within us. This is what we are waking up to that we do have a lot of capacities, but our belief gets in the way, it negates that. So it's very important to change the way we perceive sound healing. And, and sound bath doesn't mean anything. What do we do when we're bathing? Where is the mind? Mm-hmm. What's happening in the mind is the most important thing. How to get the self out of the way, how to get the mind out of the way, to work with sound, to diminish the, the discursive thinking, whether it's important or unimportant, the cognitive loops, to let go of creating reality or create a mental reality that superimposes the physical reality. There are three different forms of reality to me there's a the mental reality, the one that keeps us awake, can't fall asleep, or the one we're thinking about, you know, and, and we're just some people are on autopilot, but succumbing more to the mental reality, which can be used productively and non productively. And there's the physical reality I'm sorry, I meant to say the physical, mental, and the mathematical. Mm-hmm. The mathematical. This is where sound comes. This is, by the way, the reality that physicists use to test models to understand reality, the cosmos consciousness. So it's important to have the right perception to understand more about reality. Sound wants to teach us about reality, Mm. wants to teach us about what else can be possible in, in in the experience in reality. How can we break away from habitual patterns from mental constructs, from indoctrination, from seeing things in a specific way, to unlock inner potential, to take us into faculties within us, uh psychic faculties, but not to rush into going into the psychic realm because that can <laughs> mm-hmm. be induced and, and and become inauthentic and mm-hmm. but to really help fine-tune our awareness and to become more introspective, more grounded, more observant, because technology is wreaking havoc on us. Mm -hmm. And we are being bombarded by so much negative entrainment from everywhere. As we try to wake up, a lot of things are trying to create more anxiety and fear and and the state of the world and the tension between countries and... uh, the, the the pollution and uh, the environment and weather conditions. We are in a very critical point, so we need to be very attentive because while I don't have the answer to how can we uh, make it happen, how can we save the planet and us and all living things, I don't know, but it seems that the answer is to go inward, mm-hmm. to resort to deeper, more authentic, more rigorous um handling of spirituality and that's what we are gravitating toward. Mm -hmm. So what I experienced is that in the past learning about these systems and this is how I came to sound is that uh, learning more and more adding to my interest and practice understanding um, music I practice meditation, interest in all the esoteric stuff and things that deal with knowledge and nature of consciousness. The music I start to play and study uh, gave me a different direct experience than the amazing direct experience that I had many, many times playing classical music, uh, medieval music, late medieval music and Renaissance, Baroque, different periods and not just classical period and contemporary music, which had a lot of problems. And what I started experiencing and playing classical Arabic and Turkish music enriched so much my understanding of what else music can do Mm. and then started making me ask questions about the octaves the mathematics of the octave and the 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 things that were revealed to me in field work and experiencing i was having in different uh spiritual experiences uh, sufi experiences shamanic experiences with mantras and sutras um and chants the, the, the mind-altering experiences from sound alone and becomes something different if one has meditative skills that can bring into the experience and it becomes something different when one uses uh, the, the, the meditative skills with sound and music in a realm, in a, in a state, in a setting where uh, there is uh, a psychotropic substance and a shamanic experience There's a different understanding of consciousness, different understanding of the self. And it's a very, very powerful experience that most people dismiss, the people who have not had it dismiss, well, I would caution them that experience it first and then make an opinion. Mm -hmm. There may be fear, I understand, and I'm not saying these experiences are uh, to be done by everyone, they're not for everyone, and they are, you know, I'm not encouraging people to do it, they're not, if the person has mental, emotional disorders, various issues or taking certain antidepressants, anti-anxiety, you know, and and doing them with the right person, someone who is trained to do that, shaman or healer or curandero, Mm -hmm. facilitator of some point. doesn't have to be shaman, really, um, as long as they know what they need to know, and there's a lot to know. So it's very important to learn about where we are, who we are, what do we need to do, uh, because what is going on in the world is consciousness crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's reflecting on what's in people's hearts and minds. All of the things that we went through, and I say this with compassion, because of the post-traumatic stress injury and what people call disorder, um, we need to create a different reality. We need to understand reality more and more. We're at a point now where... Mm, Reality is becoming pretty sci-fi and psychedelic. You I mean Elon Musk talking about simulation, and, mm-hmm. uh, and he got it, of course, from Nick Bostrom. And but the ancients talked about this concept. Gnostics, the Native Americans, and the states, and you know that's something—a that whole thing by itself. I don't know if we we'll get to it. But yeah. the, we don't have anymore a system that tells us who we are that entrains us positively. So music that was found in that is still found in West Asia, seem to have had a purpose as a system for emotional, mental, physical, energetic, and spiritual maintenance, Mm -hmm. that the person has to be involved in the reception, listening judiciously, attentively. What we now see manifesting in Indian classical music, Sufi music everywhere, classical Arabic, Persian, Turkish, Armenian music, music of Azerbaijan, certain Central Asian, uh, music in the Levant, music in North Africa, the makam system. It even extends to Western China. You find mugam, it's called mugam there, M-U-G-H-A-M, makam, M-A-Q-A-M, sometimes M-A-K-A-M, depending on the culture. So this is the origin of the raga. So what I brought... To, to the study of sound, and, and and I was becoming more and more interested in the various facets, is this ethnomusicological stuff, it's my knowledge in music and harmony and in different musical um, systems and meditative states. So that's what I bring to, to the, the sound healing realm, sound therapy or, you know. And I started doing scientific studies to, um, Understand deeper what sound is really the harmonic series and its complexity Mm -hmm. and 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 um, the microtonality and its impact on brainwave cycles um, and the the uh, heart rate variability and started learning also from people as I was playing from not playing I mean playing these instruments facilitating an experience how my perception was changing, my understanding being in the field and observing, Mm -hmm. and what people communicated to me. So I take a multidisciplinary approach. It's, I believe, to be the most appropriate, suitable and healthy way to understand what sound can do, Um, because it's so, so complex. So it's very important to not rush into unconfirmed rumors, into gimmicks, Mm -hmm. into wishful thinking, into woo-woo, the the esoteric stuff exists with sound, but woo-woo is something else. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to sift the good material closer to signal and not falling into noise, into static.
0: How can people recognize gimmicks and disinformation? What's the best way for people getting into the field to have an awareness that that that's out there?
1: That's a good question. Mm. How can they do that? Well we first have to understand that we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, we do have intuitive intelligence, but we're not raised to use our intuition, our imagination, and inspiration in the most suitable and thorough way. We do use them here and there, artists more than others, especially imagination. But every person has it. It's the biggest gift we came with. Every person must use it and use it to a greater level than previously experienced, mm. and to find deeper and deeper layers. Rudolf Steiner, by the way, emphasized this a lot as well. So, it's very, very important. And most of what I bring into it is not only my research; it's also my reception. So it's about tapping into gnosis. So, how can we do that? How can people do that? They need to realize that they're limited with their observation because they don't know what they don't know. They don't have enough of knowledge we never we never have enough of knowledge i still learn new things every every week every day sometimes i've been doing this research for 17 years focused only on sound and this interest in in the the esoteric side of music and sound eventually led me to quit the things that i was doing i used to teach at columbia i used to uh, be a professional composer Mm -hmm. used to write contemporary classical and film music played different musical styles and Cultures as well, mostly classical and jazz and music of West Asia, fusion music sometimes and different instruments I used to conduct. I used to teach and do research. I don't do that. I miss it so dearly. I love that. And I worked for 12 years at university to to get to be able to do that. But all of that was a training for me to do what I need to do. So people need to develop the curiosity, to be open, to learn about what they don't know, Mm -hmm. to read, to experience. Very important. It's not just the theory and the philosophy, but being primed and getting the tools so that their direct experience is more um, optimized on a, on a greater level, basically. There's more fine-tuning of awareness to learn from the self because we don't have enough of research about sound and its impact on consciousness. So people being curious, listening to different musical cultures, reading about music, learning a bit about music if they're not musicians, helps so, so much. Mm. Um, Studying with different teachers, uh, following serious teachers who uh, are not too big on the branding, Mm -hmm. um, activating the inner capacity we have within us to witness, to experience, to spot uh, woo-woo and sift woo-woo from the good esoteric pulse Mm -hmm. um, and to be able this is the most important part be able to let go of what we used to think is truth Mm. to upgrade that Mm -hmm. to lose that to be willing to become aware of attachment and its detriment because at the end we are our own obstacles if we have not done better work on the ego the negative side of the ego I should say Um, the ego wants us to rush into making decisions to feel good about things, to show that we are masters, to show we, and this is rampant these days. You know, people do workshop over two days and they become masters Mm -hmm. and they become healers. Like, no, no, this is a certificate for ego inflation. Mm -hmm. Don't do that to yourself. No one's going to be able to protect you. You are treading into very treacherous territory that you need to, create and work through the process of alchemy, the fine tuning of the self. Mm -hmm. This is what alchemy is really about. And the the, the metaphor of transforming the self from heavy metal, base metals to gold, it's about the personal alchemical experience. It's about changing the way we perceive reality, label reality, labeling has a lot to do in the way we create reality and the conditioning, the beliefs as well, the language we use. So we need to bring awareness to that. Especially to language. And 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 people um, there are a lot of great books out there. Um I if if they're in a loss, I mean they can check out my website. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of great resources yes, and yeah. material to read and films to watch and papers to read and sample of my research and so um we need to push consciousness forward is a big responsibility. We need to also in the process, realize that by using the most powerful tools, there is a likelihood of us falling into ego inflation and everything it can come out of it. So it's very important to realize that uh, because we're disempowered, if we're not aware of this process, we can quickly fall into uh, the ego inflation. The ego wants us to feel a great level of satisfaction and to just start to boast and brag uh, and and to create an image of the self partly because of how powerful sound is but we use it in a non-constructive way where we create more obstacles to the self and we don't know that so it's very hard to to um, guide the self in the process because it's very delicate material that if other people were to tell us about it we become defensive. Mm-hmm. We feel that we're being judged or criticized. Well, we should avoid judgment, of course. But it's important to use compassion and compassion in the right way, which is to tell the person that, you know, this is not optimal. A lot of people avoid talking about delicate things because they don't want to come across as being judgmental. Mm-hmm. We're at a point where we need to talk about these things, talk about the human condition, How could one explain this? that hundreds of millions of people came to the human experience, did wonderful things, left wonderful practices and and teaching. We get to this awkward place where we are abhorrent, we're looking for a different planet. Uh, Things are collapsing so rapidly. I'm not pessimistic. I'm realistic. I'm Mm -hmm. still hopeful. And, And it seems like consciousness has to go through all of this. That's why it's happening. But we need to learn from it, to shift things around. We need to reevaluate and reassess things. And we need to think about them differently. And we need to bring more self-awareness. We need to realize how we became so rogue, so affected by the system that um, impacted consciousness by falling into prioritizing profit over consciousness. And the power of money impacted so much the way we think and do things, and we we became subject to a reptilian brain because that's what negative entrainment, media, the news, always mm-hmm. you know creating negative stuff and things that create terror. And so there is more action from the reptilian brain because it wants to protect the machine, and that creates a separation, a fight or flight, and the reptilian brain acts in a very uh, robust, rigorous, and very inflexible. Um, compulsive way so that creates division and we became predominantly left hemisphere we prioritize so much intelligence and reason and logic and all of that and we don't have the balance between the two hemispheres so the reality that we're creating is impacted by people who are predominantly left hemisphered and there's a lot of reptilian brain action in it who are creating technologies and, and models and impacting reality and, and impacting others who are buying into uh, the technology and we're and creating this reality. This is what happens to species where they have lost alignment, recognition of the logos, have been suffering so much from various things impacted by our ignorance, how much consciousness degraded, and by certain subtle evil agenda as well to make money out of misguided consciousness and um, we're at a point where we lost faith in things but we are taking a different turn and this different turn is is opposing to the transhumanistic agenda that has been going on you know, now we have AI we have te- technology is everywhere mm. it can be used well but we're not we have not created technology to protect us. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's AI now, there's scientific materialism and mindless technological advancements. And it's a transhumanistic agenda, but at the same time, there's a deeper interest now in something very different, which is Eastern philosophies, meditation, sound, all the things that I mentioned earlier, and that's opposing to this. So this is going to separate people more and more. So we need to, realize what consciousness is resorting to, to create, to be interested in, to unravel its nature and what the danger is, the current danger, which is what has been called Ahriman or the Ahrimanic tendencies, A-H-R-I-M-A-N, that Rudolf Steiner talked thoroughly about. And the first to talk about it was Zoroastrianism the first monotheistic religion that was in Persia, Ariman can be perceived as the evil twin of Christ consciousness or the Christ concept. And this is what technology now, and especially AI is bringing into the picture. And this is what the next battle is going to be. It seems to be Armageddon. (laughs) Because if you remember the the sci-fi films from the 80s and 90s, what? Did they predict? Well, and the writing of many uh, sci-fi, sci-fi writers, Philip K. Dick, and so on. Uh, and if at some point in the future, there's gonna be a big struggle between uh, humankind and the machine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Technology. Here it is, folks. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you don't see what's going on, you're mm-hmm. not paying attention. Um, so a lot is being done at composing reality now, data collected from social media that is giving people voice of expression but it's also accentuating narcissism because of you know how disempowered empowered people this tendency is being taken and used against them so psychology is being used in a weaponized way because it can make money to the person using it correctly so we have a lot to do to wake up from to fine-tune So we need to stay away from gimmicks. We need to practice authentic spirituality and be rigorous with things and be skeptical, not doubtful, skeptical, Mm. and to resort to scrutiny and to assessment, reevaluation, to scientific studies, uh, to multidisciplinary approach, syncretic approach. We lost things because we became specialists. There's a reason why medieval scholars had many different specialties, because one gets to understand things Uh, Because things are complex, if we are specialists, we understand them through only one side, one lens, one filter. We need to create balance between the theoretical, philosophical, and the experiential. And that's my approach to sound in the way I investigate it, a way I promote receiving and its perception and its understanding for the people I transmit it to. Mm. We need to realize what sound is trying to do to allow us to tap into uh, a deeper level of spirituality, to understand consciousness through transcendental, meditative, contemplative, mindful states, to tap into gnosis, embodied knowledge. The harmonic series is is what I believe to be the most important part of the logos. It's it's the word in the Bible, the first sentence, right? In in, In the beginning, there was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word here is a reference to the logos ancient greek mm-hmm. because when the bible was brought to europe was an ancient greek what does the logos mean ratio completeness wholeness depending on the context we don't have an exact word that defines it in english so for me the logos is the metadata that creates reality the metadata that creates language if you will the feelings emotions and thoughts sensations visuals that we experience inside of us and then when we speak the logos becomes language, and that's ethos. Ethos is the describing character, the personality, the emotional, uh, and, sorry, the, the the communicated emotions, uh, the distinguishing quality, the spirit, the allure. And when it's received, it becomes pathos. Pathos is... For me, the full spectrum of the emotional state, not just the one that deals with lament and nostalgia and sadness. And that's how sound works. Mathematical ratios that are the metadata, the logos, that are part of the intelligence in nature. And I believe the divine feminine, who has been described as feminine in various cultures, whether in in for the Gnostics, the Eon Sophia concept, Goddess Wisdom, Divine Feminine, Gaia, Prajnaparamita for the Tibetan Buddhist, Inanna and Ishtar for Babylonians, Sumerians, Shekinah for um, the Hebrews. These are, I believe, their embodiment of systems of intelligence that's inherent in nature. That's the, the ultimate feminine archetype, which is a reference to body of intelligence that we need to recognize, be in harmony with be aligned with and to find in ourselves find the unity between us and it to understand where god is and what god is and that's something the the, we used to use in the west and then also in non-western cultures and call it natural philosophy the place where science came from but unfortunately science went through so many changes it became material and became a-spiritual, we lost spirituality, we lost meta-art of physics, and now there's an interest in recovering that, investigating this again, but our approach needs to be thorough, because it's very, very difficult, and we're not educated in a way using the trivium and quadrivium to gain maximum level of critical thinking, problem-solving, and creative strategies. That's neuroplasticity, basically. We're having to create this and I do trust in consciousness finally. but the less meandering we do, the more we have a direct line to it and connection. This is what I believe now is causing consciousness to resort to interest in sound in the harmonic series. We need to understand that it's about mathematics. It's about experiencing the ineffable, the ephemeral gnosis, understanding what the universe is, is about. Nikola Tesla said, if you want understand the universe, study look into frequencies energies and and the vibration and sound is nothing but all three so it's about the mysteries it's what the teaching of the mystery school so that's why when i talk about sound i do involve the, the people receiving about the harmonic series how to listen to the harmonics how to spot them whether they're different frequencies, different amplitude, the different modulation of how they wobble to realize is about becoming familiar once again with true harmony, quieting the mind with the ultimate signal to create sympathetic resonance, to create thorough positive entrainment, to impact the brain by healthy neuroplasticity, needed neuroplasticity to find a different way of understanding reality to co-create reality. This is where I believe sound wants to take us to these realms. So it's important to not waste time and energy following gimmicks. Mm-hmm. And misinformation and disinformation are there for real. And 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 certain systems release this information to divide consciousness, to get people to waste their time and energy and resources in following something that is close to the truth, but it's not quite the truth, or something completely different altogether. And misinformation can do something similar as well without any intention. So there's a lot at stake, and that's something I became aware of early on, and especially in sound, because knowledge is the ultimate power. So, yeah, it's very important to stay away from gimmicks and... and, um, that can mislead consciousness we need to push consciousness forward by being attentive and and to make the right effort to to demystify the nature of things to gain back sovereignty initiative and critical thinking and being aware to use the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere in harmony it's about recognizing harmony once again this is what community is so the more we know about harmony, the more we can create a genuine, authentic community and not dysfunctional one. Become Because we come from a dysfunctional place, harmony, we've been affected by so much negativity. So we need to be compassionate in the process and not hard and not critical not judgmental. We need to also uh, do it ourselves. No one's going to do it for us. We need to tap into the healer, teacher archetypes. We need to Promotes a certain approach to receive. And that's the approach that I take and explore sound in the correct way to understand deeply the concept of ethos and pathos. Because if we study these ancient musical cultures, they're doing the same thing. So they have a lot to teach us. But we just need to experience it. I'm not saying to people go and study playing classic Arabic music or Persian or Indian. They can, but that's a lot lot of invested (laughs) time and energy. If that's what they love and they're interested in exploring, but at least learn to listen to it and see what you experience and see how that can inform you of what is. There are a lot of things that can be revealed that cannot be talked about. Mm -hmm. This is about being an inexperienced.
0: So, when you lead a sound meditation and and you know, stressing the importance of the engagement of the participant, do you encourage them to be observant to? listen to overtones do you talk about mindset uh, how do you encourage that in your your sound meditations rather than just laying there and listening you know
1: yeah mm-hmm. absolutely i do talk all the time about these things for well i like to give a 3 hour long experience or more mm-hmm. to the most minimum if i'm giving two i talk for at least 30 minutes if i'm giving three hour long experience I talk about an hour uh, 45 minutes an hour to uh, not only give people the tools to how to receive this experience but I want them to leave the experience with tools as well to use in everyday life Mm. how to apply this, how to process and integrate, assimilate it how to take this into every present moment yeah I talk about mindfulness, I talk about the three different states, basically, to me, that are useful in such an experience are meditative state, contemplative or introspective, or mindful state. Mm. Now, these can lead us into hypnagogic state, which is a state of being. The, the brain is awake, but there are no thoughts. We're just being. Finally, we being a human being <laughs> and not human doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how not to fall asleep. That's a very deep restful state where the body's exercising self-healing, where we, the brain is exercising being being impacted by the harmonic series and, and how it's being explored, uh, in, uh, on impacted by, uh, I mean, how specific instruments. When I play a gong, I like to play one gong. Although it's beautiful to play multiple gongs together, assuming that they get along and the harmonic Mm -hmm. spectrums are harmonious with each other. Uh, But I like to explore the power of one gong and to shift uh, the different emotional states in it to bring out different harmonic clusters Mm -hmm. and to create an experience from one gong uh, for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour in a way that does not seem boring or repetitive, to engage the person exploring the ethos of that specific logos, the one gong having harmonic spectrum based on its diameter, type, and so on, uh, so that the person can become so accustomed to losing the self through observation, through deep listening, uh, for me, from my experience playing different gongs, it becomes more about novelty. Then the person perks up their attention and when they hear something coming from a different gong, a different instrument, uh, they give it attention and, and therefore it may impinge on their deep meditative state. I found to be more useful to focus on one gong and I, I like to explore how deeply this one gong can take them as they're working with me in deep, judicious, attentive listening. I'm deeply interested in this process of them working with me because I want to use their faculty, their resources, their energy, their capacity to hear. And that's what gets them to that state is deep listening, right? That's what the Sufis talked about. This is what the Indians and everyone else in these ancient cultures is doing is losing the self, becoming one with God, going into transcendental state through their listening. So I need to engage that. So I talk about different mental states. I talk about the harmonic series, how to listen to these instruments, how to perceive the harmonics. Yes, frequency, one variable, another variable is the amplitude, certain frequencies, harmonics. Harmonics and overtones are two different things. People use them interchangeably. And uh, how to quiet the mind and notice the higher harmonics that are obstructed by the lower ones to learn to navigate in sound to use psychonautic skills. Uh, To be able to zoom in and zoom out in the perception of reality that's not succumbing to discursive thinking, a certain agenda, to the participation of the ego that wants to stamp reality, name it, call it. And how to notice, trace these overtones through their modulation, the wobbling, the beating. How to notice the space between the overtones to zoom in on just two or small clusters. Um, how to zoom out, and how this act of observation, which is using the tendency of the mind that wants to be engaged in the observation, to use that to get it to a state of annihilating the mental activity, to use it to go into deep meditative state, then sound becomes the mantra. It's the ultimate mantra. Why, right? as we were dedicating our attention to it, the sound coming from the bowls, shruti box, to redo uh, gongs, you know we gravitate toward these instruments for a reason. Intuitively, we choose them because we are dealing with real harmony. We're dealing with something that's gonna impact our body, our emotions, our thoughts, our spiritual being in the most impactful way and take us into places where we can learn things we rehabilitate. So it's important to engage the attention and the totality of the mindset to use that faculty that wants the mind to be in the monkey mind state to deepen the meditative state. So for me to do it effectively, I need to engage them. I need to talk about reality. I need to talk a bit about psychoacoustics and talk about what I'm doing and how certain instruments create emotions. I demonstrate, here to give an example, let me demonstrate Uh, For example, this is a singing ball, I I demonstrated and I bring awareness to people how um, when I play the ball, certain harmonics come out and depending on which side of the mallet I use, whether the felt side, it gives greater concentration of the lower and mid-range harmonics and the wooden side brings out the higher harmonics like this. This is from the cotton side, lower and mid-range harmonics, and then the wooden. At first, when people are not experienced with listening to both, they think that it's one thing. Mm -hmm. It's not a one thing, as we know. We're hearing, depending on the person, they may hear People may hear three, two, five harmonics. This wall has six harmonics, but the higher ones are so hard to hear because they're overshadowed by the lower ones. So mm-hmm. I uh, Bring awareness to that, so that people are th- listening deeply and they say, they go, oh yeah, then there's a different listening. There's more zoomed in listening. There's more attention. And I talk about how I create an experience by blending the different harmonics of my ball set uh, together I like to use sing, the metallic singing bowls more than crystal bowls. Crystal bowls are beautiful, have have beautiful uh, sound and and beautiful harmonics. Um, if they're not, if they're played in a sensitive way and not played in a very loud and mm-hmm. shrill, because mm-hmm. they can be, easily become ear piercing. Um, metallic bowls have more pronounced, more audible harmonics. I'm actually pre- creating a video now about that and it'll be on my website soon, comparison mm. between how many harmonics are projected in a metallic ball and a crystal ball. Mm. So I want to engage the person in a deeper interaction with more harmonics, with more complex behavior, pulsation, beating, the modulation I'm talking about. And, and um, so I explain these things. I explain how sound can shift different emotions. So I'm going to demonstrate this now playing two Goshi the ignis and the aria. Uh, this is the fire and air. So I talk about what the harmonic series is, that there's, there are mathematical ratios and harmonic series is the audible side of the mathematical ratios. The mathematical ratio is between the notes and the musical interval and how specific alignment of mathematical ratios to create different intervallic structures. Create harmony exemplified here in this chimes. When we listen to these notes and start to pay attention to how these notes are shifting our emotional state, evoking emotions, feelings, thoughts, visual sensations. Um we to describe them as light-hearted, curious, happy, uh, exalting, there's a sense of wandering, playful, so on and so forth, whimsical, that's a different sound, let's call it ethos, creating different reality within the listener, that's pathos, that's how the Mathematical ratios, here harmonics being the logos, when the chimes is played becomes ethos, it speaks to us through its ethos, and when it's received, and we are dedicating our attention to this reception, becomes pathos, shifts our emotional state, in different chimes, this aria, Koshi chimes, There's a feeling of nostalgia here, a sense of yearning, introspection, uh, sadness, but gentle, healing sadness that brings relief, addressing a certain sadness. So, so, you know, this is what the raga does in the makam. But sometimes it goes into a place where uh, there are no words to describe. It's just different. It's just a different way of being, different way of experiencing. It's more about the experience. It's not about labeling this experience with words. We don't have the words for these realities. Our words is for this reality. For transcendental, euphoric states, psychedelic states, we don't have language for it. Our language cannot describe these states. It's about different ways of being and experiencing. It's about growth of consciousness and just being. So, I talk about these things so that the people are aware. I talk about brainwave cycles that, you know, if you're not attentive, you may fall asleep. And if you fall asleep, you're not here. I give people the responsibility to touch their neighbor and bring them back mm-hmm. uh, instead of coming through and being irritated by the fact that they're snoring. Mm-hmm. So it's important to... Um, Talk about these things so that people are getting the most out of the experience and not expecting to be healed, but to be active in the process of taming the mind, uh, diminishing the amount of discursive thinking, the mind wandering, and bringing awareness to how we label things and the frustration. You know, not everything goes the right way in the experience where people are, are. right away going into meditative contemplative or mindful state sometimes there's a lot of resistance and there's a lot of uh doubt and there's a lot of am i doing it well am i doing it right Mm -hmm. um they're they're feeling um distracted by their mind frustrated that is also something to bring awareness to how the mind creates reality by creating feeling of displeasure by judging calling naming Kierkegaard said if you name me you negate me that's something we do all the time Mm. i believe that's how we create reality and it happens in a fractal geometry kind of way one thing leads to another and we drift away from being something being the, the, the self and we become something different so it's about going back to that beginner's mind so yeah i don't assume that people know all of these things there may be some people and that's great if they know these things but i bring awareness to them so that people can use them, can can really become uh, skilled at receiving this and taking this into everyday life. That's the approach that I find to be in in good service to others and that I've used has worked a lot for me and for many people based on direct experience and, and experience sharing from people. I may talk a little bit about Uh, the difference between Western music and non-Western music, a little bit about equal temperament and what that had created. And because music creates very serious neuroplasticity entrainment, people need to choose judiciously, attentively, the the music they listen to and how they listen to it. And yes, while listening to pop and rock or whatever music that the person is into, And listening to it in the background, this is one way of listening, but if we really want to benefit, we need to sit down and listen to music. If we want to impact the brain by a healthy neuroplasticity, it's up to the person, really. It's not about this is better than that. What are you looking for? Just know what this is going to provide you with. It's important for people to be informed. Mm -hmm. It's about free will, that when people don't know what they need to know, then free will is not being exercised. Right.
0: So in order for sound to be the medicine of the future, people have to have this awareness and, and understanding, just to better understand how it impacts not only our, our body, but our, our consciousness.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to to learn more about connection between or how sound impacts consciousness, how elemental it is to deeper, more authentic, rigorous, spiritual practice. It's about an investment of time and energy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sound, music, our time passing as we listen to it. And it's entraining us. It's rehabilitating us. It's fine-tuning us if we learn to work with it. It creates different neuroplasticity. Uh, It's not an accident that we have a mantra system, sutra system, words, prayers chants, music that is used, and this is something that was uh, used thoroughly and with great effect, level of effectiveness by book religions. Most of what happens in these religions is about the experience with sound, with collective energy, with congregation, in, in church, in the mosque, in in the temple. Um, it, it makes the person feel elated and makes them feel certain oneness. You add incense to that and refuse ornamentation iconography, let's say, in in the Greek Orthodox Church and the church bell, well, it's that gigantic singing bowl, it's overtones. And um, Byzantine chants, for example, sung in, in, in the Greek Orthodox Church, they're a mixture of Turkish and Arabic classical musics. They're microtonal and they create different Pathways within us. Uh, There's a transcendental state. So when people leave. The holy house. Feeding this deep transcendental euphoric state. That's deeply meaningful to to consciousness. To people. And. um, It makes us come back. And do it more and more. And this is what we do all the time. Whether in the spiritual realm. The shamanic. The traditional. The religious, sacred, you know, uh, and the secular. We do this all the time. And it's through entrainment. So this is something that's important to understand, to use it with awareness. Uh, That people need to be participating Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and using it and being aware of it. Because it's about revealing the nature of God the primordial OM that created the universe, the, the, the universe that was sung into being. Ancient Egypt, they use this phrase. The Big Bang, there's always sound as a creator of reality, sound as being God, whether it's the word, the voice, language, sound. For me, the primordial OM, which is OM, really, is bringing awareness to, that's how I understand it, to the harmonic series. If we're trying to sing overtones, to do overtone singing, throat singing, or diaphonic singing, we need to open and close the buccal cavity, the vocal tract, so that we create a process in physics called Helmholtz resonance, where we're naturally amplifying one frequency as we're singing the fundamental tone, one frequency in our voice. An harmonic series exists to give the tone color of every sound we hear. So if I'm singing a note, my voice has a specific tone color mm-hmm. because of the harmonics that's in it, but you, people can't hear the harmonics. If we were to do harmonic spectrum analysis, we can see the overtones and get to play them individually. So to bring them out, humans have discovered a way of changing the buccal cavity physics to open and close the cavity, not always by dropping the jaw up and down, like what happens when we say, "ow," we go through the vowels, Ow, uh, but by moving the tongue up and down, by opening and closing the buccal cavity and using the, the, the sinus cavities as the focal cords are Vibrating and sing, we're singing specific frequency. Ah, oh, overtone singing. <clears throat> so I'm bringing these overtones out because I'm moving my tongue up and down. I believe the. Aum or Aum is about that, is bringing reference to that which has created the universe. Sound, the intelligence of sound, the harmonic series, the reference to the logos. That's what I believe the primordial Om is. Mm-hmm. When the person learns to do it, if the person does that for 10 or 20 seconds, they go into a very, very deep meditative state because it's changing everything that's happening in the body, is impacting the body by different neuroplasticity sounds quieting the mind and that's why Buddhist monks do it mm-hmm. Tibetan Buddhist monks, they do it in a more guttural way, mm-hmm. there are a variety of different ways, so it quiets the noise and it's about that, it seems that we are deeply interested in quieting the noise in finding out who are we, who am I is the biggest question, going into the non-dual state of things To quiet the mind from this Maya, the perception of this reality doesn't seem to be the the right reality to create. We're stuck in a state of infatuation, uh, falling victim to the material world, and we're perpetuating that. That's the matrix, the projection, the holographic reality. It's something within us. It's drifted away from who we used to be, Started calling things, calling Riyadh, calling something, and falling deeper and deeper into state of dream, and we lost who's having the dream. We seem to be so deeply interested in systems to take us back to where we came from. Whether you call it meditation, mindfulness, introspection, uh, uh, shamanism, working with sound, yoga, all of these very powerful techniques are about quieting. State of noise, mm-hmm. and this is where it's becoming more and more of uh, something to pursue on a global level. So, the more we use the tools with intelligence, we use them correctly in a rigorous way, and promote an authentic approach, and be aware of the of the pitfalls in doing this work, and ego inflation, and so on. The more we can do it in a more um, effective, positively effective, and to create positivity toward ourselves, the environment, and others. And I don't think there's anything better than than this. This is so needed right now. Mm-hmm. We need to reestablish our connection to harmony, to the logos. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's that's where we're at. To to go deep into the sound until you kind of reach that almost time-stopping place.
1: (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, into a state of just being, into a state of realization. And there are a lot of things that can emerge in the process, things that we can't talk about. There are a lot of things I can't talk about because first I need to talk about things that are more essential to prep people to really understand in the right way for them to, for for my pathos, my words, for my ethos. I mean, to create the right pathos within them, without judgment, without misunderstanding, without perception, to letting go of certain reception. But also, there are a lot of things that are outside of language that cannot be uh, transmitted, and that's why uh, it's about doing it yourself, learning how to do it yourself, and and watch for the pitfalls. Um, to be in a direct experience because it's about being, it's about experiencing. It's about realizing that sound is the ultimate guide in taking us back beyond the state of pronounced ego that wants to call on things, that creates a different reality. And knowledge is the ultimate power. So if someone has, knowledge to misguide us in the process we can in, end up investing our time and energy and resources and we lose sovereignty in the process and we don't know why we're suffering because we are perpetuating the pain our attachment our misperception uh to the the need to want to believe in things the need to want to address the esoteric makes us buy into the wound um And boast and brag and and call it such. Sound wants us to go into a state of equanimity, state of psychological stability without being affected by stimuli, whether these stimuli are inside or outside of us. But we also realize inside is outside. (laughs) Mm. It's a projected reality. And that's coming to us in science as well. This is what biocentrism is in science. This is what... In the Vedanta school, tells you that the Atman is one with the Brahman. I experienced this repeatedly. Anyone can experience that. The Atman is the essence of the self, and that is one with the Brahman. The Brahman is the ultimate nature of the universe. This is the ultimate truth. But it's coming to us from various realms, not only Eastern philosophies, but shamanic practices, indigenous belief, um, and, and science, in uh, Sufism as well. But unfortunately, we talk about a different thing. We're not always attentive. In shamanic societies, they call these things that we misinterpret because we take them out of their context. Sometimes when people don't know enough, they label them in a way that's not efficient. For example, in shamanic societies, they talk about the spirits. They talk about the power animal, the ancestors. We in the West, we talk about as the psyche, the subconscious mind, the collective unconscious. And so on. In Eastern philosophy, they address them as the, the, the Atman, the Brahman, the Shiva, and the Shakti, and the various archetypes. It's about investing the energy, the faculty to create that reality. That's what Hinduism is about to dedicate one's attention to become a devotee of this God or that God by investing the time, energy, the faculties, and prayers remembering the stories of Hanuman, let's say, the god that symbolizes being in service, remembering the Hanuman stories, meditating on Hanuman, all of this creates and cultivates the software that is Hanuman. At the end, we have energy flows where attention goes, and we create that reality. So it's about understanding Hinduism of archetypes, which is what Carl Jung uh, did, and also Joseph Campbell. So it's very important to understand Understand the self by using the very powerful tools that are um, available to our use now Mm -hmm. to uh, understand the nature of consciousness through archetypes, through who am I and what reality can be, how does reality come to be, naming, calling and falling ill to certain attachment to creating specific reality based on being impacted by something uh, that caused pain. And our attachment to pain and and to the the, the suffering now, you know, it's very compelling. That's something I study deeply. As I work with more and more people, I've learned so much from the people I work with. I've worked so far with over 18,000 people. And I work a lot with large groups, groups of 50 to 100. And very often people write to me or share with me very deep, insightful experiences and um, data that help me understand what sound is doing. And um, it's curious, and also we realize this when we work on ourselves, how hard it is to heal from attachment to sentiments of guilt, of shame, of insecurity fear anger they're very deeply intoxicating in an addictive state why is that how do we lose sovereignty how do we become so invested in exploring something that's not doing any good to us Mm -hmm. and we keep on um perpetuating that and it takes so much awareness do that and so much self-control and self-observation to not do that anymore. Um, it's its not easy to do it, but that's telling us something about our consciousness, about what we need to go through and what, it's how difficult things are and unsurmountable. but it's by changing the awareness to the perception, the attention. Sound helps so much with that, to bring awareness to that, voice in the head that is always talking and judging and laboring and how much that the quality of the voice is caused by what we went through in the past, how much we're bringing the past into present and how sound meditation, the right handling of sound and understanding of how much the mindset is elemental here to snap out of the habitual patterns the cognitive loops, and to invest this energy, the faculties we have within us, toward enabling a different kind of reality, creating different reality, paying attention to how the energy is following our uh, attention, whether the attention is deliberate, non-deliberate, automatic, uh, misguided. It's about letting go of the misguided perception, sound. Kapsa is doing that. It's about shifting the noise to signal ratio. It's important to recognize that and not be limited to glorifying and talking about the power of sound and identifying with that and being so attached to that and, and uh, you know, without understanding what it does and how it's doing, how this can be a powerful tool to bring to others and to give Others, the tools to work that instead of telling them I'm hitting you, mm-hmm. you know, it's no. The, what the person is doing is the most important thing in the equation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If they're not paying attention to whatever the the sound practitioner is doing, even when the practitioner is so skilled, then it's gonna go unnoticed. So it's important to create the right context, to be very specific, and to give people additional information about that, so that. People work in an attentive way to learn about negative entrainment. But the the, the overall uh, diet, not just what we eat, what we listen to, the books we read, the films we watch, the, the advertisement that seep into our consciousness, uh, the people who are around us, the places we go to, all of these things impact our consciousness, and our consciousness becomes the product of what our consciousness is going through, simply. And it's about rehabilitation, making choices, fine-tuning things, shifting back toward harmony, toward understanding of the Logos. Yeah. The Unpronounceable Name of God, the Tetragrammaton, that's his harmonic series. It's, It's the audible side of sacred geometry. It's what Pythagoreanism is about. Pythagoras brought this knowledge after having traveled the world and studied various mystery schools and uh, mystical sects and hermeticism. And Plato's writing is about that. It's encoded. Socrates was promoting attention to the stuff and was sowing impiety in the minds of young students and bringing awareness to the concept of reality to Pythagoreanism knowledge. And he was thrown in jail um, and was forced to commit suicide uh, because he was uh, he was a Gnostic warrior. He was someone who wanted to give people the truth. He was at a time where uh, the Athenians had lost battles with the Spartans, I believe, um, really debilitating loss after 20 years of war. then The least that they wanted to hear about is someone like Plato talking about these ideals. So Uh, uh, I mean Socrates, and and Plato, his student, talked about this stuff in an encoded way, and now people can read about it in a few books, particularly musical structures in Plato's dialogue. So this is a very important knowledge that needs to be transmitted. It's knowledge of mystery school teaching that I'm reviving and, and, and creating retreats about that, to how to understand this powerful knowledge that deals with reality with consciousness, the knowledge that has been transmitted in the Elysianian mysteries of ancient Greece, the Soma rituals in, in India, shamanic traditions, hermeticism, Gnosticism, Neoplatonism, esoteric occult philosophies, Rosicrucianism, uh, the modern mystery schools, anthroposophy, theosophy. So I like my approach is a syncretic one and one that focuses on sound, spirituality, consciousness, shamanism, understanding the rituals and the tools that people have used as, as someone interested in, in understanding them myself and using them and studying them, mm-hmm. and not just as a profession, right. so that we all become scholars, scientists, mystics, artists, uh, healers to ourselves, teachers to ourselves and transmitting things to others. But it takes a lot of work. It takes awareness. But there are pitfalls along the way. It's hard to do it on our own and it it can easily be, a person can easily be misled. So it's important to be skeptical, not to buy everything and anything, Mm -hmm. but not to be doubtful, to find a way to bring spirituality to science Mm -hmm. that we lost with, you know, Need to drift so far away from woo and and from superstition. Mm-hmm. So Isaac Newton was more of an alchemist. Was deeply interested. Big scholars and scientists were into alchemy. It was not transforming heavy metals to gold. There was a practice about that and dealing with alchemical experience. I believe the function of that is to create practice to to create rigorous practice where there is impactful healthy neuroplasticity resulting from that but the ultimate goal is to realize that by creating harmony between the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere of the brain and harmony between the brain and the heart this is where the person becomes the philosopher's stone the element that's needed to create the alchemy the alchemical experience and where the person becomes deeply aware in the understanding that we create reality by perceiving it, laboring it, individually and collectively, and as a way to stop perpetuating the suffering, to shift our resources, attention, time, toward healthier perception. Sound can help tremendously in that, and it's a very deep and powerful tool that's often underestimated. So we need to be more rigorous in it to make these scientists and people who are creating reality and technologists and engineers more interested in how sound can possibly save us, can, can give consciousness the biggest push forward because what is the most popular art? Music, well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why music, sound, words have so much power, have been used everywhere. That's what I've been trying to investigate and understand and benefit from and use. It's far, far, far more complex than we can ever think it Mm -hmm. is. So the least thing that we want to do is to glorify the 1% that we know and think that this is all there is to know. Mm -hmm. No, we don't know what we don't know. We should always leave room for that. Mm -hmm. So that's the approach that I take and, and promote. And if others disagree, that's totally cool. I'm not pushing my agenda to others. I'm just trying to get people excited and 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 get them to realize that there's something else to the the power comes from somewhere really profound and it's about uh, knowledge the direct experience reevaluating reassessing the way we perceive things and learning what our sound can do and how the process happens how sound can be used in medicine of the future i believe the biggest discoveries in sound being the medicine of the future is going to be in ultrasound this is something we've been exploring how sound can clear out the amyloid plaque from people who have dementia and giving back their memories, how sound can cause cancer cells to uh, uh, go through apoptosis, self-destruction. Not playing a golf or singing ball here. <laughs> uh, we should realize about ultrasound, ultrasound that's frequencies above 100 kilohertz, 1000, 100,000 hertz. Um, and it's not just sound, it's, it's uh, ratios too. Like in the case of causing apoptosis, is the ratio between the fundamental frequency and the 11th partial, uh, which is coincidentally minus 49 cents, The cent used for logarithmic measurement of, of sound. And in equal temperament, every half step becomes 100 cents, the octave being 1,200 cents. So this is why we found the quarter tone, the half flat, half sharp, and many in between, in Persian, Arabic, Turkish classical musics. We used it intuitively. You know, we use the blue note for a reason because the harmonic series is built built within us; it's encoded in us. We resort to it through intuition. Why else we play notes between notes? Well, there's a lot of reason. <laughs> And we were snapped out of that. We lost that in Western music and we created harmony and, and systems where there's an industry coming out of that. And we don't know, and we love what we listen to and we're addicted to. We need to realize that there's something else outside of that and why we're addicted to. And if the person knows very little, then the person's gonna buy into the most mediocre form of music. I'm not gonna start naming names here. And mm-hmm. Many musical stars and bands I and mean, it's not fair of me uh, because people become defensive
2: mm-hmm.
1: when, when you start talking about the music that people listen to just like you know religions and, and people's faith. So it's a very delicate matter. We become defensive because it's so important to consciousness because it's connected to reality. but there's cognitive dissonance here. people cannot accept that and they reject that. They become defensive. Mm-hmm. So we need to talk about these obstacles that we can face. Uh, in the process that we become self-limiting. How to remedy this? How to realize that there's about a bigger truth that we can't even understand? We didn't know that it's there to be known. And how to overcome that? This is where consciousness wants to go. To attain these realms, to expand, to unravel itself. Sound is the ultimate tool that can create an experience, because it's about physics. You know, the laws of physics create the universe and rule the universe, and the laws of acoustics, as I understand, them, they impact consciousness. And That's something I've been trying to understand on a deeper and deeper level. So we should take it very, very seriously. Um, how sound can create a mystical experience and that's what we get when we learn about wh- what the hypogeum in Malta was about and how sound was used in the pyramids, in by the ancient Egyptians, in historical sites in Peru, whether Incan or pre-Incan civilizations. I've studied these things in my fieldwork and studied how sound was used in a variety of different ways, whether in shamanism or in the building structures of certain historical sites by people from different continents. I mean, that's what I did as an ethnomusicologist, not only studying harmonic systems. That's how my interest in ethnomusicology became different. But eventually I made the choice to let go of that in my um, role in academia and to bring this knowledge to people, to bring serious academic, scholarly, uh, 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 scientific, and academic knowledge to to people, to empower people because people need empowerment. But also academia was resistant to the things that I was finding. Mm -hmm. And that changed me, it changed my reception because they were not open to, they were not aware that this is important. And sometimes they were not willing to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring this to people and to say, what do you think of this? Mm -hmm. There is this to be perceived in such a way. So um, it's important to investigate these things. Uh, They're enriching. We're at a time where we need this stuff to understand how can we save the world without becoming messianic? That's another pitfall. How can we work together to remedy what we're going through and to perceive a different to let go of the misguided perception? Mm -hmm. Our faith and consciousness but it's about something new that has not been perceived. That's the paradigm shift. Mm. But it's not going to happen smoothly. I'm not pessimistic. I'm optimistic with experience. Uh, It's important to realize that there's a difficult period ahead of us, but it's about being more judicious, attentive, rigorous, authentic, promoting a different way of handling reality, of using the powerful tools, of realizing how we became rogue by falling into society that eventually became sick because it succumbed so much to the power of profit, you know, falling into profit, our attachment to profit of our consciousness, we lost spirituality, we lost our connection to nature. Um, Science became reductionist, but there's a big turn also in science and interest. So we're correcting the misguided perception. The more we recognize it, the more we understand how it's happening how the non-optimal way has been manifested. manifesting, how the study of ancient practices in context, not taking them out of context. We don't get the same thing by taking shamanism out of its context. There's a lot of woo-woo and male dominance in shamanism and a lot of ego and a lot of dark energies as well. A lot of mishandling of that. We need to understand that we're talking about the same thing here when we call it the Atman, the Brahman, the Psyche, the the plant spirit, the the ancestors, and we are talking about the same thing. We're interested in the same thing, except we lose ourselves in the cosmological model we create, the rap, the 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 way we perceive reality and we fight with each other over which method is more correct. Because we come from that. You know, haven't we witnessed enough enough a lot of killing? And that's something I suffered from over 14, 14 years in uh, growing up in war, people killing each other over whose God is more merciful or which way is best to worship that same God. That's really how what book religions are doing, whether Protestant Catholics or Sunnit and Shiite and Muslims and Christians and Muslims and Jews and so on and so forth. And being succumbed to falling victim to doing that, it's not coming from people, it's they're being pushed into, succumbing to what ignorance and passion can do. And it people, it's our own energy. It's us doing it without realizing that. So there's a time for a different understanding of how reality comes to be, and how it can be corrected but we need to take accountability we need to come to it with with compassion and realization that we we lost things we degraded and when it seems that when consciousness degrades we become self destructive we become antagonistic to the other defensive we fall victim to evil and we become destructive to the environment running it down depleting the resources creating Pollution on all levels to water, plastic pollution, pollution in the air, without intending to do that. And, uh, And we get to a level where even when we recognize we're doing that, we cannot stop it. We need to overcome this as species. It's a very, very serious matter. And I have faith that consciousness can overcome this, but we need to resort to intuition, imagination, inspiration, use the powerful tools attentively, realize that as healers, we're really healing facilitators. Self-empowerment that people need to receive is part of the healing. So we need to make them part of the equation, part of the active participation that needs to happen. To learn from how music was received in old days till to now, to bring that into handling of sound in sound therapy, sound meditation, sound healing, sound bath, all of these things, and not make it about reinforcing the ego because we're disempowered and insecure, and resorting to methods that instead of healing, perpetuating the suffering, because there's an attachment to that. This is where the parasite takes place. The parasite that the Gnostics talked about called the archons, that the simulation is coming from that Elon Musk got from Nick Bostrom, this uh, philosopher who's interested in consciousness. He's a Swedish philosopher who teaches at um, uh, Oxford and has been influential to most well known cosmologists such as Martin Rees, Max Tegmark, Leonard Susskind. All talking, started talking about the nature of reality is quite probable in matrix, a projection holographic. Um, that's not real. We it's being projected and, and w- what reinforced that is that you know with fractal geometry, one of the manifestations of intelligence in nature that you know we measure and and use mathematics, like the Fibonacci series and the golden mean, phi, pi, these are universal constants numbers that repeat everywhere, and the harmonic series is the most impactful one. So these allow us to understand the intelligence in nature, but they seem that we can recreate reality, and we do that with fractal geometry in CGI, computer-generated imagery. So if we can recreate reality, that means reality is created in a similar fashion. But that's not something that started with Nick Bostrom and and the cosmologists. It came from the ancients, Uh, The Gnostics called it uh, the Archons. The Native Americans called it Wetiko, W-E-T-I-K-O. And um, in um, uh, Hawaiian, uh, shamanic beliefs was called Iipe. In esoteric Christianity was called the General Law. Uh, this is what shaitan is, plural shayateen in Sufis. This is what the jinn is in Arabic mythology, in lore, Arabic lore. Uh, Sri Aurobindo called it occult hostile forces. Um, in hermeticism, it was, uh, was called the lords of destiny. Uh, in shamanism, was called um, the predators. Uh, And and Castaneda, in his writing on shamanism, called it the flyers, the topic of all topics. Gurdjieff called it the evil magician. Rudolf Steiner talked about this. So if it comes to us from various places, various cultures, various times, maybe there is something to it. Some force that getting us to further ourselves in the misguided perception by misusing our faculties and it creates a different reality and it creates suffering. Now, the Gnostics talked about it in the Nag Hammadi Library, the text that were discovered in 1945 in Southern Egypt mm. called Nag Hammadi. Uh, Nag spelled a- N-A-G and then second word H-A-M-M-A-D-I. Great book to read that explains this in, in a more approachable way than reading the Nag Hammadi Library, which has been translated and published is not in his image by John Lamb Lash, and it's very hard to understand it. But they talked about it in a very specific way. It's almost like an ancient AI nanotechnology that simulates reality, and it does that because it feeds off of the the low vibrational energy, the suffering that we create. So it's in its interest to perpetuate that. And um, in the process, there is enf- enslavement to our nature of being and we become victim to so many unhealthy things. I think I think this is a very fascinating thing that we need to give it more attention and we need to sift out the woo from the esoteric nature because very intelligent and advanced people, Rudolf like Steiner, you know, He's he's uh, someone who created a lot of amazing things in the Waldorf school uh, system. These are some of the best schools, along with Montessori, uh, biodynamics, uh, and and uh, eurythmia. So this goes with this arimonic state that we are approaching, ariman, what we are creating, so we need to understand so well what we're doing beyond our awareness and what is the next evolution of consciousness and the and the difficulties that we're facing more and more. Because this is, I believe, the most critical period in human consciousness. And many of the ancients talked about. It. I believe the Maya in 2012 is still continuing. They never said that it's gonna happen on December 21st, 2012, the alignment happens then, but they said the change is going to start to happen a few years before then until several years later, Mm -hmm. which is the realization, the shift that there's something to be understood that has been going on uh, in an undetected way that we're having to deal with. This is probably what Armageddon is or the apocalypse, which is the lifting of the veil. It's not It's not the end of the world. It's the end of one word and the beginning of something new altogether. And it's not necessarily negative, but we need to be attentive. We need to be multidisciplinary. We need to be strong spiritually uh, and and to use things with wriggle. And if you need to handle the powerful tools in the most efficient, just way and Mm -hmm. not be flippant with things. Mm That's what I uh, like to use and lead by example and it has served me so well, demystified so many important things, Mm -hmm. furthered my spiritual practice to help me deal with the difficulty that I uh, had to face at at an early age and to really tap into the healer, teacher within me and to work with uh, powerful tools in an efficient way and to bring it to others but without necessarily making myself uh, a healer, a guru, a master, you know there's no such thing. A master is uh, an advanced student, an apprentice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the learning should never stop. So it's important for people to learn to do that and not to blindly follow gurus and 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 teachers and give their power away. to understand where spirit is, mm-hmm. what spirits are, their archetypes. They're not outside of us.
2: right?
1: But we come from a place where we feel so disempowered, so we call something that's not really it. And we should bring compassion to why we do that and how we do it in an, in an efficient way. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. It's pity to waste it on senseless things and ego inflation and messianism and glorifying the self and becoming a master and a healer when it's not really about that.
0: Well, thank you so much for the work that you've done, you know, through your own passion and and curiosity and experiences. It's led to just such um, a rich amount of uh, perspectives, you know, really. I I really appreciate you you sharing this. Thank you so much. I'm sure we could go on for hours and hours but <laughs> mm-hmm. I appreciate your time I really do and uh, yeah
1: we're scratching the surface yeah <laughs> but yeah,
0: yeah. The, but we
1: have to say these things first and yeah. I would uh, I would also emphasize that it's important to go into certain ornamentation and certain depth and the, the interconnectivity mm-hmm. this material before going into deeper layers because the complexity uh, how abstruse it is is very important. And maybe it's not for everyone, it's okay, but it's important for people to realize that this is there to be known, whatever they can get out of this, whether 60%, 80%, 20%, 1%, it's it's better than nothing, but to prep the self and prime the self toward a greater and greater level of understanding, fathoming and handling of this, because it's not easy at all, it was not easy for me. And it's, there's still a lot of things that I don't understand. I'm not ready yet to understand that I stay open to and work very hard and lead by example, but you know every opportunity I have to spread this and uh, to transmit this material to others. Um, yeah, we all came to to do this and to really bring this to others. But um, it's time to do it, and uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that I'm able to tap into it to this level and to have such love and passion. And ability to comprehend but it took a lot of hard work and anyone can do whatever everything i've done anything i've done but it takes rigorous work and a lot of investment of time and energy and i encourage people to do that because understanding reality changes and uh, we tap into a lot of wealth that's there to be explored
0: well i want to express my gratitude for the depth of what you have shared today, for the depth of your research. Thank you. you. And as you say, knowledge is the ultimate power. So thank you for going deep with us on, on so many topics and offering so many different tools, perspectives, and things to process and integrate. I truly, truly appreciate your time, your investigations, and your energy.
1: Thank you, Natalie. Thanks for having me and uh, giving me the, the, the opportunity to talk about these things and to transmit these things and to give people some food for thought and to um, bring awareness to important things that we, we need to investigate, which is a very important, critical period in human evolution and uh, evolution of consciousness. So it's important to continue to push consciousness forward. hmm. And uh, keep doing the wonderful work and uh, oh, your podcast and your, podcasts and your uh, music and performances. Yeah. Oh,
0: thank you. Thanks a lot. Okay. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. I appreciate you.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast. You can keep up to date with what's coming up next. At SoundsHealStudio.com on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio and YouTube on the Sounds Heal Studio channel. You can hear meditations, sound performances, and other podcasts. Be well and stay tuned.